Hello, this is Jay Khadija Abdurrahman, and this is We Be Imagining Podcast. Today is Sunday, May 31st, 2020, and I'm here with my co-host, Ilan Mandel. What's up, Ilan? Hey, Khadija. And Stanley Munoz. What's up, Khadija? We're really excited today to um, explore experimental digital storytelling with Brian Yee, um, who is an expert in VR AR, and with Todd Anderson, um, who has developed a Chrome plugin called Hitchhiker. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Khadija. And Bri, I know that you're you're in Brooklyn. Is the streets crazy? Uh, I hear sirens everywhere. It's yeah, it's crazy over here. Um, so, Bri, maybe we could start with you. Do you want to just share a little bit about um, your experience with VR and kind of what are you thinking about right now as VR for a medium for storytelling, particularly in the context of teaching students this summer to, to use virtual reality? Sure. Um, you know, my background is in digital media production, and I've been doing that for some time. And one of my passions has been for over the last 10 years has been augmented reality. And uh, most recently, since 2013, I've been focused on virtual reality. And I felt that there was a, a lot of potential in the platforms in order to provide people with a unique perspective on, you know, and on topics that are important to them. And in some cases on stories about their lives and stories about things that are important to them and b- figuring out ways of, fig- of who can tell the story and how we can show it to people. And I think it's really important to be able to have a voice and to determine who is telling you, especially in this day and age, the story, you know, who has the right to tell the story of, of my life or of your life or anybody. And there's no one better than each of us. So the idea is to figure out ways to democratize the ability for us to connect, you know, via digital means. And, um, that's basically kind of been what the focus of, of my work has been over the years. Well, th- thank you, Brian. Um, Todd, do you want to say, I'm really looking forward to this week, you're doing a workshop and performance series with We Be Imagining. Do you want to explain to our listeners what Hitchhiker plugin is? Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, so Hitchhiker is a, a Chrome extension. So uh, for those, most of you have probably used uh, browser extensions. Uh, the most popular kind is an ad blocker. So it's a, it's a piece of code that modifies your web browser and kind of runs on top of different websites rather than being a website itself. And um, what Hitchhiker does is it allows you to kind of create a room and have a bunch of people join and then kind of collaboratively browse the web with other people. So anytime, so you have like a performer or I call them a guide and uh, they'll put in a new website or visit a new website. And then everyone who's in their room gets taken to the website they visit. So you're kind of like collaboratively moving throughout the internet together. And kind of envision this as a, a way of, of telling stories uh, of, through visiting a series of websites and, and uh, uh, also a way of giving like tours of the internet or for like history or education of like looking at different corners of the internet. Because a lot of times we just access websites through these very kind of like weird corporate algorithmically generated funnels on uh, from like Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or um, all these social media sites or, or there's through, through Google search. And this like allows you to have a, a web experience that's like directly curated by, by another person. 
And then there's also a lot of like kind of fun interventions that people can do on these uh, on these web pages once you're on them. So you can kind of like change the text on the website, overlay images, play sounds, and so it can there can be the content of the website, but you can also kind of use the website as a stage or like tell a story through it in addition to the content that's already there. Um, so yeah, uh, as you, as Khadija mentioned, I'm teaching a workshop with uh, with We Be Imagining this coming uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and then a performance the the next week. Um, and and yeah, I, th I think it'll. It's I'm really excited to uh, teach it to new people because I think it's like a really new way of uh, telling stories and. A lot of people with different backgrounds can bring different things to it. Like if you're interested in music or have a, have a focus on music, you can focus on layering different sound as you're moving throughout the internet. Or if you have a focus on visuals, there's different graphics things you can do. Um, poets can like lay out their their text and stuff on a, on a page. Lots of different uh, uh, ways to explore that based on uh, on your background and kind of like explore the internet in a way that's like not just like a, a big uh, um, corporate funnel. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I always struggle to explain exactly what Hitchhiker is. So thank you for articulating I, I struggle too. I'm, I'm doing my best over here. Um, and I was hoping that each of you could maybe speak to, it's hard to do a podcast recording right now without talking about um, the 15 cities right now where there's been protesting for the last four to five days around the death of George Floyd and their failure to, I think they finally arrested one of, one of the police officers that was involved and the other three are just on administrative leave. Um, but the thing is that they've trotted out like the same tired tactics. I think Slate New York was the only one that I saw had a really great headline where it was talking about police violence against protesters. But overall, it's been framed about looting. Um, and it's interesting. It's been like a lot of young people in the streets, a lot of citizen journalism, people filming with their smartphones. Kind of, could you each speak to the ways in which these particular mediums and technologies um, allow a way to intervene and kind of frame things in the current moment? Do you, want, do you want to start, Brian, or should I go? Sure. Um, yeah, no, this is something I've been thinking a lot about and actually working on uh, over the past uh, day or two. Uh, so it's the thing I've been thinking a lot about. Um, uh, for me personally, um, we're planning on going to visit my partner's parents uh, next weekend. So I've been like pretty worried about going and being in a big crowd when I'm about to go see some people over 60. Um, so I've been trying to think about like how I can participate and uh, support uh, a protest without physically uh, being on the street. I'm, and I may end up getting out in the street later anyway. Uh, but that's the thing I like. I'm thinking, and it's the thing I've been seeing on social media. A lot of people are being like, I don't feel safe going out right now during a, a pandemic. Uh, I don't think that's safe for me or my family, but like, how do I show support or like participate in this? And that's the thing I've been thinking about with uh, with Hitchhiker, uh, because one of the things Hitchhiker is pretty good at is creating a sense of being on a website at the same time as other people and having doing some sort of shared collective action. Uh, so like one of the features that's already built in there is um, the you can just have this shared drawing canvas. And so you can go on a website and then everyone can kind of draw things on top of that. And so that can be like a pretty powerful thing if you're going to the NYPD website and writing no justice, no peace on it, or RIP, uh, RIP George, that kind of thing. And uh, that, uh, and 
these kind of like you can get a sense and there can be like a chat room there and you can like go through these different websites or go through different accounts of things that are happening and like do some symbolic actions. I, I think uh, websites are, are these really interesting symbolic fronts where you can kind of destroy them or like you can uh, I've in the past mostly done with this with corporate websites, but you can do this with um, uh, police station websites as well as to like alter them, take down the photos, change the photos and have this thing. Cause it's just like a symbolic public fingerhead figurehead. A lot of people don't really use these police station uh, websites. And so it can have this kind of cathartic pe feeling of people expressing themselves and seeing them uh, and expressing with other people in a way that's like, that's visible and then can be screenshotted and, and shared and have this sense of people are assembling on this website. Uh, I, I take a lot of my thinking around this from um, this book, The Coming Swarm by Molly Sauter, who uh, talks a lot about how uh, there's just like a real lack of public space on the internet. Like you can't be anywhere on the internet without being on someone's lawn, really. Uh, like Facebook owns like all the Facebook things chat areas and you can say like oh you can't post this here uh but it's hard to like comment on a play or like the nypd doesn't have like a public facing chat room where you can leave or a comment section or anything and so like having a layer where you can comment on these things that exist online with other people and interact and, and express yourself gives you uh is kind of what hitchhiker is is trying to do here uh, and it's the thing I'm trying to build out more as a potential use for it. So one thing, some things that I'm adding um, this week are different ways of having uh, like groups be able to all leave small messages or all be able to post one small image and, and or to like represent the mouse cursors of a bunch of people on one website. So you can really have a sense of everyone who's logged on and uh, that feeling of being in a crowd and everyone having these shared values and shared goals and things they're they're trying to change. Um, all on one site um, uh, together. So that, that's what I'm hoping it can be a, a way of of, uh, of showing support and gathering with other people in a time when some people don't feel safe to do that. Thank you. Um, Brian, would you like to respond kind of uh, in line yeah. with AR, VR? Yes. And I actually appreciate going second because I, I hadn't really been thinking too much about this. I've, I've To be honest, I've been very consumed with staying up late at night and just pouring over the content that's just been filling in, you know, from all over the place. And actually some of my thoughts on just having recently discovered Todd's plugin, it all comes down to access and availability and access to the tools to create the experiences that we're hope are gonna change lives and bring people together. And I think that your Chrome extension is a great example of how we provide access through existing digital channels. Um, you know, the Hitchhiker, or as I was saying, piggybacking on Chrome's extensive deployment, everybody has Chrome installed, so it's a great tool to use for this purpose. Um, part of a lot of the limitations that there have been in the past with people having access to the means of creation and production come down to education. In the past, if you wanted to make a movie or a documentary, you probably went to film school. And so that really kind of separated a lot of people. I probably could not have afforded without a scholarship if I had gone to film school. Um, and that was mostly due to the fact that the cost of equipment and, and production space and, and everything was so expensive. But now we see that there's readily available free software alternatives. There are high quality cameras that are built into our smartphones that we're, we're all carrying constantly. 
And I think from these protests, we're seeing so much of the footage and, and what is happening in almost real time. And I think that's really significant. How this relates to what I've been doing, um, I think a lot of people try to say AR, VR, you know, XR, whatever, all these different R's. In reality, all we're trying to do is create a shared world that has different views. And you think of augmented reality as being the in-person view. So you can imagine how it could be useful in person for organizing protests, for alerting people. If you could, while all these people are shooting, receive uh, a virtual layer with information about what's going on around you and helping to organize people. Uh, you can also leave notes of hope and messages, like imagine a, a Skywriter AR app that you could put in the sky and that would have messages of hope to help unify people. Um, also in VR, uh, something that we've been working on in particular with the, the platform that we've been developing for Milstein uh, program over at Cornell Tech this summer is uh, a VR gathering space. And so I think that's also really interesting. Um, right now I'm working on trying to get it so you can see uh, in particular VR headsets, if there's finger tracking available, you can see people's hands and their gestures and it becomes more expressive way of communicating and more connected way because you can actually see very specific articulations that can, you know, suggest so many different things, uh, obviously, as we know from just simple gestures. But um, one of the powerful things is if you can't be at that protest, you could virtually be right there. I mean, imagine if you're in a VR headset at the virtual protest, which is then mapped over the actual protest and bringing in content from people who are in the field with augmented reality applications. So now there's a feedback between the two, the two protest groups that are online and in, in real space. And I think that that's a really powerful potential use for this technology. No, thank you, Brian. Um, I guess one of the other questions this is a little bit from left field, but one of the things just kind of live in the moment that I've been struggling with is that social media has been so helpful in getting live accounts of what's happening in the protests and also logistics, um, you know, in a way that can be challenging because it makes you more available to, to state surveillance. Um, but the other challenge has been disinformation. Um, and the question of who's organizing the protests and is the information that we're getting accurate, who's responsible for, you know, different acts that happen during the actions and what role do you see each of these technologies playing um, in kind of combating misinformation or creating different kind of infra information science networks, unlike, um, or I guess, alternative space, public spaces to social media? Uh, maybe starting with Todd. Um, yeah, so I, I can't claim that uh, Hitchhiker like actively stops misinformation that's happening out there. Uh, what what I can say is that it does put some stuff in perspective, or at least I think part of what can lead to misinformation on social media is how easy it is to take things out of context or to not really know the point of view of the poster. Um, and so you just have a lot of different sources from different points of view and you and often people like if some multiple people are saying incendiary things that are at odds you don't really know where those people are are coming from and you're hard it can be hard to like be like oh like what how seriously do they mean that or what perspective are they taking that that line from and that it's um it can be hard to to make sense and then also when you have uh 
just like if there are bots out there. I, I don't know to what extent there uh, there are uh, bots in the in this discourse, but there's definitely like some bad, bad actors out there putting out um, incendiary stuff. And so uh, what what I think Hitchhiker allows you to do is by having it be one person steering you through a series of websites or links, or it could be just like one person steering you through uh, their like steering you through a series of tweets of people they know or people they recognize, or like you can imagine someone in Minneapolis uh, going through a bunch of social media posts of pe- from people they know in their community uh, and talking and so like maybe putting in some messages about like how they know this person and that can put those things sort of in context. You can know who they are in their point of view and then sift through this information with kind of someone uh, as your as your guide uh, and kind of know where where they're coming from and better make sense of it in that way and, and you're you're less likely to just see like a random amplified thing that uh, whereas like, like a lot of things you can take three things on your social media feed that you want to take really seriously and then uh, one thing that feels kind of off to you but then maybe you lump it into the three things you uh, you think are really credible and you end up incorporating this piece of uh, disinformation. Uh, and so I think taking away a little bit of that just kind of random algorithmically generated thing and having their, uh, the human natural human curation that happens when you're uh, when you have someone walking you through um, uh, these pieces of, of information, I, I think that can, uh, can certainly help. And, and also just like by creating a, a place without a just like, a conversation that is a little smaller, like inside a hitchhiker uh, performance, like there, it's going to be like tens of people usually, um, maybe into the hundreds. I admit there's some some uh, server testing I, I need to do, but you don't. You can like have conversations about things that aren't conversations with the entire internet, um, and uh, I think that's also valuable for sorting through misinformation. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go next. I want to talk about. Both both Todd, you and, and you, Brian, have, have discussed these places you can kind of gather outside of physical space, right? In in Todd's case, it's it's this shared Chrome plugin space. Brian, you've discussed kind of this, this virtual reality space. Um and I'm just curious about how we can think about either these spaces or these tools as ways to to kind of push real world change. Um, I, I completely understand that the like acts of empathy that that are incredibly valuable by you know coexisting in these spaces, especially at a time where that's incredibly difficult. But uh, you know, there's there's this kind of critique of hashtag activism, right? Where people are just kind of posting stuff on the web and then you know real change happens maybe when people actually are out on the street. Um, because the point of a protest is is to be disruptive, right? Like spray painting on a cop car, f f the police, is very different from you know defacing their website or like having a virtual space where you talk about how much you hate the fucking police. Um, and I I don't know that there are good models of this. The one that comes to mind, I think, a little bit is maybe Silent Giants, right? Where where after after Trump was elected, like all they would do was was kind of post these tweets of like large corporate brands advertising on like fascist places on the web, like bar or whatever, and just kind of pushing large corporations to not advertise there. And it's, 
it's not like an ideal form of protest, but it seemed to have a big effect on, on you know, deplatforming some kind of white supremacists and Nazis on the web. I don't know how big of an effect it had because they still seem to be all over the place. Um, but I'm just curious, how do we how do we take this experience of places on the web where where we can be virtual and together and actually uh, kind of inciting inciting change in the way that, that a protest is intentionally disrupted, right? Like it stops traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would respond to that uh, through the lens of um, uh, my work with a uh, collective called The Illuminator, where uh, we do, uh, we work with a variety of uh, activist nonprofit groups. We do projections on the side of buildings um, of some, some manner of uh, political messaging. And, and we're, I, I'm probably going to be doing something around uh, these, uh, uh, around George Floyd as well. Uh, but uh, the, uh, but a lot of times, what we do is we'll we'll do a present a big image on Trump Tower or on Union Square, and it's not inherently disruptive. Like projecting on the side of Trump Tower doesn't disrupt their operations. It doesn't wake people up. It doesn't uh, keep people from. It doesn't make their stock price drop or anything like that. Uh, but it does. It's kind of a more powerful symbolic action in that it. Uh, puts the people's message on top of what is uh, a like a a monolith to, of power or a a public thing, and that's I think uh, empowering for for people to see. And I, I think disruption is definitely a a part a like a valuable part of protest, and that's like especially what just large group of people on the ground uh, is good at as as a tactic. But I don't think it's the only like valuable thing that a protest action can accomplish. I, I'm a lot of, I think a lot of the uh, best work that uh, artists can do is kind of like powerful symbolic action that sticks in people's minds and causes them to think about a subject and uh, generates conversation, makes people stop. And uh, that's kind of the direction I come at it from, uh, from Hitchhiker in that there is some like past, um, as far as like digital protests, like the I think the closest thing to what you're saying would be uh, like DDoS actions. So actually targeting the servers and disrupting websites and and web traffic, and that's like a uh, thing that has been done by different digital activist groups uh, in the past, and that's certainly a, a valid tactic. Uh, and, uh, Anonymous is probably the most famous, but the electro hippies also. Um, but um, uh, and so disrupting that kind of disruption can be di- done digitally, although that's like usually won't be done in an art context. That would be uh, although, I mean, you could call that and like building tools that enable these kind of mass protests, like digital sit-in type of stuff um, uh, as a, a type of art practice, but it's not, you're not like looking at a um, an art piece, for example. Um, but uh, I think one of the valuable things you can do and what I think about with Hitchhiker as a kind of symbolic action is to, uh, in these virtual arenas, uh, the places, these places are, rep- uh, are represented like... Um, uh, like the NYPD, uh, like going onto their website and and changing it and modifying it doesn't break their website, but it creates a symbolic action where 
like if there's a large group of people and then a certain message is put on there that can generate a conversation um, for those people. Uh, and it can, there can be screenshots of that. I mean, for the work we do with the Illuminator, there's some amount of people that see the initial action, but it's often the photos that are taken of the action that have a life of uh, their own, get a lot of people talking and sharing and thinking about these ideas and creating a new kind of symbolic communication um, uh, around the world. And I, I see Hitchhiker as, as capable, not necessarily as like, because it's not maybe on the level of projecting on, on buildings, but still um, doing symbolic actions on a, uh, on a website, I think can still have a profound effect. And, uh, and yeah, and I think it's also, there, there is some connection. I, I know it's, it's easier to participate in something online, to share something, to tweet about something, but I, I think there has been an observed connection and there are studies to, to show this between participating in some sort of online demonstration, uh, between sharing this kind of material and later being more interested in participating in something in person or just developing an activist and political identity. So it's, they're not necessarily equivalent, uh, but, or like replacements for each other, but that that doesn't mean that the the digital aspect isn't valid and can't lead to in person like protest results. Thank you, Todd, for such a substantive response, Brian. I kind of wanted to turn to you, um, and I was interested, kind of in the same vein of what Todd is discussing. But what do you see as kind of the forefront of storytelling um, in immersive multimedia, kind of from your perspective, with both AR, VR? Um, and like, wh what are you most excited about? Like, what are the key areas of intervention that you see upcoming? Well, that's definitely a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting that we look at this, these technologies and we try to figure out how we can make them work in the current situation, in the current context of how we use them. But I see them more as being tools to assist, for instance, um, in virtual reality. I had discussed this earlier. It could be a shared space where you could hopefully securely plan for your protests or for any of your activism. Um, and I think that one of the important things about that is it does help to connect you to actual people in, in real time. And so it makes it easier in some respects to determine the validity of what's being reported upon. What I think is important is being able to connect all the different technologies in a way that is useful towards being in person for the protests. Um, I don't think you can get around that being there in person. So in that respect, I think that augmented reality is probably going to be one of the best tools for that purpose for on site, being able to communicate with people around you. And I'll give you an instance. Somebody said to me, hey, you know, they are using the footage that people take and post in order to identify people and, you know, target them. What if there was an augmented reality app that while you were recording people, it would actually blur out the faces of the protesters in in real time or in post before it gets uploaded. And that's something that can very easily be done with the augmented reality technology because it has, in some respects, face tracking. So if you're able to track someone's face, you could modify that face, you can help to protect their identity. I think that that's definitely something that could be useful as a tool for activism and for preserving people's 
in some respects their 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 privacy. I don't know if I answered your question exactly right. Actually, um, I think that's a super interesting. Oh yeah, um, I think that's a super interesting point, and I um, want to continue to ask. Um, my big question is, what are the limits of your technology right now? I think that that addresses that to an extent, right? Where you have these augmented reality apps and it is it is moving past symbolism and it is moving towards action. But, um, and this is a, a geared specifically towards Brian, but also Todd, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I find that virtual reality is often so disconnected from the a real literal experience like i i personally find it very hard to believe that people are organizing politically organizing um on the oculus you know um, and those are their meeting spaces and so what are ways that we can um that these tech industries can think about grounding their technology in reality it's kind of tough when it's virtual reality right when that's almost antithetical to what it means but um it I think it's it's frustrating to me because I want a more radical approach. Um, and so I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Hopefully that makes sense. Well, unfortunately, yeah, no, it does. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think that that's something we can leave to the tech companies. Um, they're going to try to find ways to extract as much revenue. And and when it comes down to it, if it's social media, you are, you are the product that they're selling. So uh, your information, your data, your likes, what you purchase, all of those different things. So I think it's it's really it's once again it's a grassroots type of situation where we have to develop this technology in order to support what is necessary. Where we don't believe that I don't believe that the infrastructure is being developed, just as you were saying, um, especially in the virtual reality and with some of these companies, it's not in their interests necessarily to um, to aid in this process. Uh, it probably opens them up to all sorts of what their lawyers would call liabilities and so forth. But I think that there is definitely a power in connecting people who are in, in separate locations. And I, I find that there is, I don't know if you guys find this, but there is some sort of joy in going through tweets and looking and finding a thread where people are posting different views of the same thing that happened. I mean, we've all seen that most recently with um, some of the NYPD who were driving through intersections and, and basically running over people. Um, you get aerial views, you get ground views, you get views from inside the crowd, you get a, a cop knocks a phone out of somebody's hand and you get the video up until that point. So there's all these really compelling first person accounts and there's no way to recreate that in a virtual space but there is a way to help to map it so that people understand what's going on i could imagine a virtual space as i said that connects between virtual reality and augmented reality so that ar is used for on location on site first-hand reporting and first-hand connections and vr is for finding ways of organizing that information ways perhaps that could help us to understand location, um, you know, what's going on at the time, the, the different people involved. You could potentially even see further information about those firsthand sources. That's another thing. A lot of people, how do we do that now? Well, often what we'll do is we'll click on somebody's profile and try to do a really quick research through their, their, their timeline of, of, of social media posts and try to determine what somebody's 
bent is, if it mar if it matches with, you know, what we think, or if it's something that is potentially false and trying to create a, a fake narrative of what's happening in, in, in the real world. So I think that the only way that these virtual worlds will be effective for this purpose is if we find ways of connecting them to real spaces and being able to provide that information in real time. And there's technologies, for instance, Apple's new iPad Pro has a LiDAR laser scanner on the back of it. I could imagine when that's on various devices, the ability to send almost holograms in real time from people. Maybe there's a way of everybody's holding up their phones and we we take all that footage in real time that's synchronized and able to reconstruct 3D that is then mapped into a virtual world so that people who are in their headsets can actually feel as if they're really there and possibly without the danger of getting run over by, by a, a police cruiser. Well, thank you both of you for making the time uh, on a Sunday evening to come on, come on the podcast. Can you, do you just want to share kind of where can people find you, find your work, your social media handles or. Um, sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm Todd Anderson. You can find me online at toddwords.com. Uh, I'm at toddwords on Twitter. And yeah, just one more shout out for this uh, this workshop I'm teaching with We Be Imagining coming up on uh, this Wednesday and Thursday. And the the thing you're gonna want to keep an eye out for is uh, the performance from the from the workshop. If you want to uh, try out a hitchhiker performance, we're gonna be having one on uh, Wednesday, June 10th at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. So so come check that out. Thank you. I was and uh, uh, there's. Oh, sorry. I was going to say there's not really any place to find me online. I'm, I'm, I pretty much do not participate in social media. I'm a social media browser. Nice. So. <laughs> um, all right. Well, no problem. This is We Be Imagining. Please uh, like us, subscribe, review us online. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or where all major podcast platforms are found. And we want to hear from you. Please hit us up at webeimagining at gmail.com. That's webeimagining at gmail.com. And that's it.